The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Four tires, if everybody stays out. If everybody pits in front of us, we're staying out. I don't think we got a shot. Hey, oh, that second plan. Step forward. Think of the sticker tires going to help out a lot. Uh, hell, if I know, just make a decision here, Greg, and adjust the car. Wow, Kyle Busch went up and about took the nose off Clint Boyer. It's a good thing I'm not driving that thing, because that'd be the last time he'd do that today. Second thing he'd see the white. Not a powder of him. Welcome in to NASCAR America. Carol Amano alongside Parker Kligerman and our Hall of Famer, Dale Jarrett, and our crew chief, Slugger Labby, joining us from Charlotte. We are heading to our first road course of the season, gentlemen. Uh, Slugger, let's start with you. What makes Sonoma so incredibly unpredictable? It's very hard. You have to run 110 laps and not go off the race course, Dale. I mean, it is a challenge. The main thing you want to do is keep all four tires on the racetrack, and that is definitely a challenge. And also keep your brakes and transmission in one piece and set yourself up for the final 10-lap run. Yeah, I think the shifting at Sonoma is even more difficult than, than most other road courses. Uh, you really are doing a lot of it, uh, and at places that are critical for you to be shifting gears, you're literally still turning the race car at times. It makes it difficult. I always found it hard to stay on that pavement, as you pointed <laughs> out. And now this year, we have stage racing, too, that is going to mix things up. So a lot of things going on this weekend. Right, DJ. But one thing that doesn't change with stage racing, and that is how tight and technical this racetrack is. It's the most tight and technical track you'll experience across the entire season in the Cup Series. And to think, sometimes we see odd drivers go out there and win there because of these reasons of being tight and technical, being tough on tire wear. Here we have Tony Stewart last year. He needed a win to get in the playoffs. He bumps Denny Hamlin out of the way and takes the victory. That was completely unpredictable. And that's what this place provides. It's unpredictable because it is tight, it's technical, there's a lot of tire wear, and a lot goes into winning these races. It's a huge amount of braking, it's very hot. All those things add up to being a very tough time. You have some road course credentials. For somebody that does, it's probably a lot of fun, though, right? It's incredibly fun. Over one lap in qualifying, probably one of the more fun places to go all year. Yeah, all right, let's take a bigger look at the playoff picture and the race to Miami. We're 15 races into the regular season. We've got 11 remaining. This has been just a wild season so far. Three first-time winners in the playoff picture already. Ryan Blaney, Ricky Stenhouse, Austin Dillon. you got Ryan Newman, who hadn't won in almost four years. All told, ten different winners so far, although one of them, Joey Logano, does have that encumbered win and thus has not assured himself a playoff spot quite yet. But perhaps more interesting than that are the big-name drivers that have not won a race yet. Several drive for Joe Gibbs Racing, including Kyle Busch and Matt Kenseth, both of whom have 38 career wins. Kevin Harvick has 35 wins. Denny Hamlin has 29. Dale Earnhardt Jr. with 26. So big resumes. Before we get reaction uh, from our experts, though, let's bring in today's poll question of the day, and that is which of those five drivers will win a race first this year? Kyle Busch, Kenseth, Harvick, Hamlin, or Jr.? You can join in by going to NBCSports.com slash vote, and the voting is coming in already, and it looks like Kyle Busch has taken an early lead, which would make a lot of sense from a savvy fan. Um, but, Slugger, who are you most concerned for when you look at the group of drivers who is desperate for a win at this point in the year? Well, for me, Carolyn, it's, it's the 88 team of Dale Earnhardt Jr. The next two weeks are very, very important. He runs really well at Sonoma. The last three races there, he's got a 7.1 average, leads all the dry, current drivers there. So Daytona's good for him as well. The team, I'm really worried about the transmission issues that they had at Pocono two weeks ago. Dale Earnhardt Jr. blew up two engines, fell out of the race. He will be doing a lot of shifting this weekend at, po- at Sonoma, and that's going to be key to that race team to make sure the race car is solid in one piece to make sure all their issues from Pocono are solved. Yeah, there's a lot that you could look at there, and certainly Dale Jr. is that one that we're all keeping an eye on. And I'm going to bend the rules a little and take two drivers that I think, and they're sitting 16th and 17th. And I think Matt Kenseth and Clint Boyer are sitting right there. And I think both of these are drivers that we expected maybe would have a victory by this time 
or be further up in the points. But uh, a lot of different things happening between the two of them. And I, as I look at Clint Boyer, this is someone that has run extremely well uh, at Sonoma over the years. So I think he has a, a real chance and opportunity to, to do some good things this weekend. And can he put something together? Because they need to get headed back in a right direction. And that would be good. Like, I think that even though I know his car owner said that the debris caution is what got him in an accident and created a bad finish last week, where, in my opinion, it was the driver being pretty aggressive on a move that got him in that position. But they really need a solid weekend, uh, as does Matt Kenseth, who is not as accomplished road racer, but still gets the job done. Since you picked two, I'm going to go ahead and pick two. The <laughs> other guy that I really think is going to do really well this week and next is the 11 team of Dan Mahalan. Uh, if you go back to last year, him and Tony Stewart had one heck of a battle. Yeah. Uh, Danny Will hopped into turn 10. Tony Stewart got back underneath him, punted him out of the way. That was a great race. Danny Hamlin did not forget how to road race. He will be tough this weekend. Will you be picking two as well? Well, I mean, they basically just took everyone, so who am I left with? But you know what? I got to disagree with you, Slugger, there on the 11. I don't have as much confidence in this 11 car of Denny Hamlin. I feel like of all the cars at Joe Gibbs Racing that have been affected throughout this season from their lack of speed, the 11 has been the hardest hit. And he has consistently struggled in traffic this season. I know he got a good finish this past weekend, but I'm telling you, it's not. it didn't come easy, and it wasn't because of speed. That was a little bit of that driver in Denny Hamlin making things happen on restarts, making moves that short of, that's happened to work out they stuck and that got him the position he was but I just worry about this 11 car maybe going to a place like Sonoma and Daytona which are wild card races can hide some of those deficiencies they have right now I just consistently see on the mile and a half and even the short tracks a little bit he is struggling that 11 car is struggling for speed they're getting passed more often than they're passing and they need to figure that out because they're not going to be competitive as they get to the playoffs with that sort of speed deficit at this time Slugger your response to that He's a driver. He knows all. No, uh, <laughs> there's one thing, you know, aerodynamics is not really as key as it is a mile and a half at Sonoma. So, you know, if they're struggling with the aerodynamic package for Denny, this might be a great weekend for him to overcome that and simply keep the race car on the track, keep it in one piece. He's got an awesome pit crew on pit road. They can use the stage racing to their benefit. You can pit without getting lapped at Sonoma. There's a lot of different scenarios that go into place at Sonoma, and hopefully I prove you wrong. <laughs> and Denny Hamlin, I think this fits perfectly for his style. Now, I, Parker, I agree that there's a lot of things that they have going on on the mile-and-a-half, two-mile tracks that they're going to have to figure out before they can think about winning a race and getting it done there. But his style is Denny's not a hard charger to the corner. Uh, he likes to let the car roll, not a lot of brake to upset the car, but he's really good on the exit of the corner. And the one mistake that he made there, as you pointed out last year on that last lap, was trying to charge the corner a little too hard, got it to wheel hopping, and it just wasn't his style. He got away from what he does best that cost him to race there. So I think he'll be right in the mix uh, this weekend and next because he's such a good plate racer, too. So opportunities there. We, everybody's going to have opportunities. That's what makes these such a, a wild card weekend for these next two weeks to see who is going to step up uh, to the plate and, and make sure that they get that win to be in the playoffs. I think I agree with you in the sense that of course, they can find some speed maybe at Sonoma or Daytona and get a win at one of these racetracks. But then even if they get that win, my point is, once you get away from these two racetracks, the majority of the racetracks we run into in the playoffs are tracks that this team has struggled at. That is where I start to feel like uh, even if they get that win, they're still not in a great place. And I know Denny a couple months ago talked about how it was going to take weeks, maybe months for Joe Gibbs Racing to fix some of the deficiencies that they had on the mile and a half. And the 18 car has done that, but the 11 car hasn't showed that. So I don't have a lot of confidence, even if they were to get a win at Sonoma or Daytona, that this is fixed for the 11 car. I want to take one step back as well to uh, disagree with Slugger one more time. Sorry, buddy. Uh, that's on the 88 car of Dale Earnhardt Jr., and that is that I felt like this past race at Michigan was a huge uh, turning point for this 88 car when, in terms of having speed on Friday. They didn't quite qualify as well as they hoped, but they looked good in practice. Then they got into the race, and he consistently found ways to move forward just outside the top 10 at times and looked like he definitely had a car that if he could get the track position speed-wise and lap time-wise, he could have been in the top five. And I think barring that restart where his teammate Casey Kane got a little bit loose and knocked him out of the groove and sent him all the way back from the track position that they had gained, he was looking at a solid top five, maybe even a top three, just looking at the lap times alone and where he was positioned. So I think that was a big sort of turnaround for this race team. And also to come back from where they did to finish ninth at the end of the race on four tires was very impressive. And that's the moment momentum they needed at Michigan because they're going to go to two tracks being Sonoma that he's run well at 
Daytona, we know how good he is. But that was that they needed to be good at the rest of the tracks that I feel like Denny Hamlin won't be good at, Slugger. Yeah, I'm curious to see how Dale Jr. does this weekend at Sonoma. You know, one thing about Dale is he doesn't overdrive the race car, and, he, and that's what you need at Sonoma. Sometimes if you mess up in turn one, if you try to make it up in turn two, yeah. you're not going to get it back, and you're only going to make the situation worse. So Dale is a real patient driver. He doesn't, he'll tell you himself, I don't know why I do good on road racing, but I do good at it. So uh, the main thing I worry about with that race team is the performance of the race car and make sure that it's a solid-built race car and they have no issues on Sunday. Yeah, and I think strategy is something else that they really need to, to continue to work on and get on the same page. We've heard them go back and forth a number of times over the last five or six weeks as to what needs to be done at certain points. And, you know, that's where Greg Ives is going to have to step up and say, this is what we're going to do. Is your car okay? And this is how we're going to make this uh, a good day for us. There were so many other drivers we wanted to talk about. We just ran out of time. we got to go to a commercial break already. We're going to talk about it later on in the show. We're just getting started. 90 minutes here on NASCAR America today. Still to come, we're going to crank up the radios, revisit Kyle Larson's win as we scan all Michigan. We have a one-on-one -on -one with Joey Logano. He is going to explain what an encumbered win means to him and tell us what it's like to be an expectant father as well. We're going to talk to 19-year-old rising star William Byron after his near miss in Saturday's thrilling Xfinity race. Plus, we'll be joined live by someone who knows a thing or two about speed. That's four-time Olympic medalist and sprinter Otto Bolden turning his attention to NASCAR. He'll explain why on NASCAR America. Welcome back. So big news. Starting July 5th, every Wednesday, NASCAR America will be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And each show is going to have one of our drivers along with a current Cup or Xfinity driver showcasing their journey to NASCAR and a whole lot more. So keep an eye out. That starts on July 5th. We're very excited about it. Meantime, one of the nominees for the NASCAR Hall of Fame's class of 2018 was the captain, Roger Penske. And his drivers, Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano, as well as Alliance member Ryan Blaney are all on the good side of the playoff cut line. All have wins. And while Logano's win is officially encumbered, he would still qualify right now on points for the playoffs. Marty Snyder has more on the team's current situation from the Penske shop. Well, Carolyn, here at Team Penske, the guys on the shop floor tell me this is one of the busiest weeks by far of the year. Why is that? Because it's a quick turnaround week for everybody here at Team Penske. Think about the cup haulers. They just got back late Sunday night from Michigan. They have to turn around and leave late Tuesday afternoon. It's a 50-hour drive out to Sonoma, so they have to leave early to be able to get there in time. Behind me, the Xfinity haulers, they have to go to Iowa this weekend. And on the other side of the wall, don't forget the IndyCar team. They had an off week after Texas, but they had to get all those cars turned around for Road America, they race there this weekend. So a busy week of activity here at Team Penske getting ready for the racing weekend. Despite how busy it is on the shop floor, a lot of optimism on the shop floors. Paul Wolf tells me the summer months are the time that we look forward to the most here at Team Penske. And the numbers back that up. They've been very good at the road courses over the last few years. And when it comes to restrictor plate racing with Daytona coming up in two weeks, they've won six of the last 11 plate races between Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski. Then you fast forward to Kentucky where Brad Kozlowski has won three of the last five races. So it's easy to see why there's so much excitement here on the floor at Team Penske. Also, they're one of only two teams on the cup level to have all of their drivers qualified for the playoffs. You think about Chip Ganassi racing, they have Kyle Larson and Jamie McMurray. And then here at Team Penske, obviously Brad Kozlowski and Ryan Blaney have wins. And Joey Logano is in via points as of right now. Coming up in a minute on NASCAR America, we'll talk to Joey Logano about his third place finish at Michigan. Also, find out that he's going to become a dad early in 2018 and what are his thoughts on the phrase encumbered finish you don't want to miss it it's coming up shortly all right marty we look forward to it thank you very much we welcome nate ryan into the program nbcsports.com uh, a lot hit on there by marty snyder nate but what's going on beside behind the scenes at penske right now particularly as it pertains to uh, the future of some of their big stars there's a lot going on, Carolyn, and as you hinted at there, it's contract negotiations, DJ. Brad Kozlowski's in a contract year. He hasn't signed yet. He said this week that he intends to sign with Penske. He hopes to stay there. He hopes to have news soon, but he also said some other things, and one of those is that he feels as if he's approaching the peak years of his career. He said a driver hits his best years around 39 years old. Brad Kozlowski is 33 years old. And there was a graphic recently on motorsportsanalytics.com that showed a driver has his best year at 39. And I suspect, DJ, 
that graphic made it, might have made its way into the negotiation room with Kislowski and Team Penske. The other side of the Brad Kislowski equation here with the contract extension, he has a truck team that loses seven figures annually. That's what he told my colleague Dustin Long recently. And he is not as well supported, DJ, as Kyle Busch who has a truck team that's supported by Toyota. And I think Brett Kozlowski is looking for a little bit more manufacturer support from Ford for his truck team. So all of that is there. But then the other side of this is that Roger Penske recently said that Ryan Blaney, who also is under contract to Team Penske, races for the Wood Brothers, could join the Penske fold sooner rather than later. Based off that Pocono win, I would have to think that probably means next season. So I think the question here, DJ, is... Who has more leverage here, Brad Keselowski <laughs> or Team Penske? Because certainly if, if Brad Keselowski were to leave, it would, be an, it would seem to be an easy solution to plug Ryan Blaney in there for him. If he stays, he could be in a third car. But I think the question here is, does Brad Keselowski have leverage? There are some openings out there. The number 88 is open. He has a relationship with Hendrick Motorsports previously. He drove for them in the past. But... Does Team Penske perhaps have a card here to play as well? Hmm, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Roger Penske didn't get to be the businessman that he is by making bad deals. So he understands the business side of it. And he certainly has a lot there that he can deal with uh, by having Ryan Blaney out there, too. Uh, gives him a little bit more of an option. But here is a driver, I believe, in Brad Keselowski that is basically just posturing. He's trying to get the best deal, which is what he should do. He's earned the right to do all of these things. But I, I can tell you from experience, when you have have good years, people start talking about you and to you and, and offering you deals, and they can certainly uh, be very tempting to go over there. But what every driver in their mind wants is to be basically the top driver, the top dog, if you will, at their organization. Brad Keselowski is that. He came over to Roger Penske's organization, and he has put himself in that position. Even though Joey Logano has been there, runs extremely well, has been a part of the playoffs uh, a couple of times, Brad Keselowski is still the man there but he has these other things out there but here's the problem is if he goes to thinking about going to Hendrick Motorsports well Jimmy Johnson just signed on uh, for three more years at least and so he's not going to be the top person over there if you think about going to Joe Gibbs and possibly getting in a car there well Kyle Busch is there and he's pretty much that Denny Hamlin's had his time there so if you wanted to really be that, and every driver wants that. I had the opportunity when I was at Robert Yates Racing. Todd Perry and I were approached by Hendrick Motorsports for a lot more money than what we were making. But we had a great thing that we had going on. And Jeff Gordon was always going to be that top person over there. Dale Earnhardt was going to be the top Chevrolet driver. So we really weren't going to get to the very top by doing that. We decided to stay where we were, and things worked out really well. A couple of years later, we won a championship. So you have to be careful. But that is a good tool that Brad Keselowski has there i would look for him just to use this and get the best deal possible ford motor company probably stepping up with the truck team too well guys i listened to all that and it was a lot of info to take in but i'm gonna tell you one thing and one thing only that i learned from that and you mentioned the leverage i've been in a boardroom with roger penske where i walked in without any leverage and it went a little <laughs> bit like this hi i'm parker here's your deal and roger said here's what we're gonna do and that was the end of it so i definitely think brad wants that leverage he needs that leverage but i think something to always bring in to the uh the, the discussion here when you talk about drivers and posturing and all the things that go on between teams and drivers is unlike other sports there's one side of this that doesn't happen elsewhere, and that is that there's another party at the table, and that is sponsorship. You always need to align the sponsorship with the driver and the team at the same time. So sometimes these deals can be longer than the team and the driver want simply because of sponsorship issues or, or trying to garner the sponsorship they want or getting those deals signed. So there's always a little bit more behind the scenes than meets the eye. Yeah, you know, Parker, I, I think sponsorship certainly will come into it. And I think also identity or branding, DJ. I mean, you, you mentioned Hendrick, and that to me is fascinating that you and Todd Parrott were approached because I think at that point you guys were regarded as a Robert Yates team. And to see you go to Hendrick, probably that would have been having to really sort of turn your brain around and think well, this is going to be a completely different environment. And I think that when people think about Brad Kislowski, they think he's synonymous with Roger Penske, even though – he has a relationship with Rick Hendrick. I mean, Rick Hendrick yeah. once said Brad Keselowski is the future of Hendrick Motorsports when Brad Keselowski was running a partial season 
with Hendrick and running uh, full-time for, for Junior Motorsports in the Xfinity Series. So how does that factor in? I mean, how did that factor in that decision, I guess, with, with Yates? Where is that part of it? Even though you might be offered an exorbitant sum of money, it's still yeah. about you know who you are and like what type of team you want to drive for? Yeah, there are many of those opportunities, like a, a Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon, where you have the same sponsor with the same team, same organization for a long period of time. Those are few and far between. Brad kind of has that at Penske Racing right now. He has a great relationship with his crew chief and Paul Wolf. They've done a lot of great things. I don't know that they would be a pair to take somewhere. So I think that he'll at the end of it see that this is where he really is wanted and needs to be and they'll get things worked out. All right, Nate, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. You can't walk into a meeting with no leverage. None at all. <laughs> Believe me, is, I've done it. That is a young man's mistake, and another young man is going to join us next, William Byron, one of NASCAR's uh, rising young stars, narrowly missed his first Xfinity win over the weekend, but things looking very bright for him. He's going to join us next. Formula One is right here on NBCSN. Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton's race for the World Championship continues by the sea. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix Sunday morning at 8 Eastern on NBCSN. The green lights are on. The green flag is in the air. And William Byron by about a quarter of a car like just a fender up front. On the outside, Byron takes the lead as they race off to the back straightaway. White flag is in the air. Rookie driver William Byron leading the field to turn one. This is not over yet. Denny Hamlin closes in quickly. Here comes Hamlin. They're side by side to the back straightaway. Denny Hamlin down to the inside. Way to the grass. Denny Hamlin by a half a car length wins the Irish Hills 250 NASCAR Xfinity Series race here at Michigan. William Byron missed out on his first Xfinity Series win by 12 one-thousandths of a second. But despite the near miss, things looking very bright for this 19-year-old from Charlotte, North Carolina. Before starting his NASCAR career, Byron won over 100 races in iRacing competition. And away from the track, Byron, a student at Liberty University, taking online courses while also racing full-time. And we're happy to welcome the driver of the number 9 Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports, William Byron, into the program. William, thanks for being with us. It's been a couple days since your remarkably close finish at Michigan. As you hear the callback now and process what happened, was there anything that you could have done differently in those final two laps? Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's uh, it's good to, to kind of recap it and uh, kind of disappointing we didn't get the win, but excited to get to Iowa and hopefully get a win there. And uh, knowing that we were that close, I think it, it's good for us. And uh, we'll try and keep the, the confidence and momentum going. So as you go back and look at it, you know, what do you notice now as you analyze how it unfolded at the end? Well, I, I think just knowing uh, how Denny kind of manipulated the side draft and everything uh, to work best for him, I think it was really good by him to do that and kind of shows why he's a, a cup veteran and, uh, and really a star in the sport. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to race against him, and hopefully next time I can learn a little bit more and, and beat him. We know you have cup aspirations, of course. He's a full-time cup driver. Where do you stand when it comes to cup drivers being able to race with Xfinity Series regulars? Well, I think it's a good thing for us. I think it's, uh, it's something that is um, kind of welcomes us to a new environment and gets us um, more competitive. And uh, we have to beat those guys one day if we want to win you know, cup races and stuff. So it's important to, to learn from them. There's definitely a, a competition level that increases when they're in the race. So... Uh, hopefully we can continue to try and beat them. And, um, you know, I think down the road, uh, it's just going to help us more and more. Hey, William, it's Parker Kligerman. Uh After the race on Saturday, your owner tweeted that something that astonishes me from having to race you last year in the truck series, and that's that you've only been racing cars for just over five years. How have you gotten so good so quickly? I just, I'm really curious to know how this happened. Well, I think I, um, you know, I grew up watching races and uh, just really enjoyed racing. So it was something that I always studied and and uh, wanted to be, become a part of. And uh, luckily, I got to do that as a driver so far. But I didn't really know if that was going to be a driver or a crew chief or something. So I uh, just really enjoyed watching the sport and kind of studying what what I was watching. And um, that ended up, you know, propelling me to a, a real career and something that I started to have success in. So I, I think I was just really lucky that. Um, it translated to a real car um, like it was on iRacing, but um, really I just wanted to be a fan and, and kind of watch the sport as a kid. So 
it, it was uh, fortunate for me that it translated. And you mentioned iRacing, and that's my next question is, we use it here on the show on NASCAR, NASCAR America. I use it personally to get ready for races. What do you take from iRacing that you've been able to apply in the real cars and that's helped you in the Xfinity Series this year? Um, I think I just take the the way, how realistic the tracks are and, and kind of taking some of the, some of the different racetracks we go to and trying to pick out my visual marks on the wall or, or how the, the car feels over the bumps and stuff like that. So uh, I think just those visual markers and, and also racing guys on there. I mean, you can get on there anytime during the week and, and race, you know, 10 or 11 guys and, and compete for a win. So the competitiveness of that is really what helps me, um, you know, kind of like restarts and how those things play out in real life. You can practice those things. You know, on the track, you're running third in the Xfinity Series. Uh, it's part of a one-two-three showing in points right now for Junior Motorsports. And the two ahead of you, Elliot Sadler and Justin Allgaier, who are both past Cup Series veterans, where have they helped you the most in your development? Well, I think they've helped me the most with just learning the different racetracks. I think just understanding how to push on restarts and kind of the things that it takes to win races at this level is a little bit different. So I think just learning those things and applying them and, and trying to be the best that I can be. All right. You got Iowa coming up. It's a standalone Xfinity race. No Cup Series drivers. What's your chances this weekend, you feel like? I think they're pretty good. I think the you know the, the usual guys are going to be really good. The, the Gibbs cars and uh, Team Penske is going to be really strong. So we just have to compete with them. But I think last weekend we showed that we could do that. Um, I was I was surprised, I guess, that, that we ran as well at Michigan. That's a a high downforce place and stuff like that. So it's really good for our team and company to, to see that success, and hopefully we can carry that over to a short track that we've, we've been strong on in the past. Well, congrats, William, on your most recent runner-up finish, and we wish you the best moving forward. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, guys. And coming up, we're heading to the Irish Hills of Michigan, where Kyle Larson celebrated Father's Day the best way possible in victory lane. Scan all Michigan coming up next. We are just 11 days away from our coverage of the NASCAR Cup Series on NBC and here on NBCSN. And speaking of the number 11, there have been 11 drivers with multiple wins in the Daytona July race. Only one of those drivers, though, Dale Earnhardt Jr., remains active. And he is, of course, going for his final Daytona win as a Cup Series driver next week. But back to this past weekend's winner, Kyle Larson. And what a difference a year can make. Ten months ago, Larson still hadn't earned his first Cup win. He was full of promise but he lacked those results, making 99 cup starts before finally ending up in victory lane at Michigan. And now he has proven his ability to master the track. So let's listen in on Larson's latest victory as we scan all Michigan. A beautiful afternoon here in the Irish Hills. Glad you're with us. A happy Father's Day to one and all. Check one, two. Got me there, Trevor? Hey! You getting stuck in the elevator again? Yeah. No, I'm good. Let's go win this thing today, babe. Taking no pressure, fighting all day. Sounds good to me, pal. We got some late breaking news on pit road. I don't like something on the 41 down there. They won't let him go. Uh, for some reason, they're holding us on pit road. They're looking at the roof. They just announced they're going to start us at the rear of the Ford, the 41. Ted Ford, 41 to the rear. What'd they do? Uh, unapproved body modifications. That is something NASCAR's really cracking down on lately. Going 200 laps, 400 miles today at Michigan. The green flag is out. We're underway. Matt Kenseth oh, looked pretty good right there. That's he what just you call slid a up. Yeah, he just lost a lot of momentum. Man. Yep, he don't care. Got a cowboy hat on the racetrack. You can look at the cowboy hat here to your left right now. See it? Right there. If they want social media to blow up, I would put the caution out for a cowboy hat. Have a spot. Yeah, I'm always having fun, bud. Fun straighting. It's like the damn game of glass. You get one good pass, it's like a one good swing. Keeps you going back for more. It appears that you are driving it deeper to both corners and are getting it out further into both corners than what he is behind you. Are you doing that because you're tight? No, because I'm sliding loose in and hanging out there. Therefore, a little shallower might help. <laughs> okay. Man, I'm just trying to help, pal. Dude, I just wish you would believe me like I try those things. I know you're trying to help, but I can't hold the wheel down there. It's a loose end. Just need lateral grip the first 20%, the last 20% of the corner. Step forward. I think a thicker tire is going to help out a lot. 
Hell, if I know, just make a decision here, Greg, and adjust the car. Wow, Kyle Busch went up and about took the nose off Clint Boyer. It's a good thing I'm not driving that thing, because that'd be the last time he'd do that today. Next thing he'd see is white. A lot of powder of him. You mess with that bull, they're going to get the horns. Pack it under there. He'll get out of the way. Still wave to him with his middle finger out the window down the back. Newman gets right to his left ear trying to loosen him up. Almost spun him around. God, I can't stand him. Coming up on 35 laps to go here at Michigan. Elliott trying to squeeze Larson down to the bottom of the racetrack. We're going to keep racing us like that until we send him through the grass. Kyle Larson will take over the third spot. Really good lap, man. They're going to find debris right here, man. Get you a plan. They're finding debris. Yeah, let's stay fuel. Debris? Yeah. Pretty sure that's a water bottle. And this is when it's going to get interesting. Four tires, if everybody stays out. If everybody pits in front of us, we're staying out. I don't think we got a shot. Hell, with that second plan. Carolina Panthers here. Keep saving. Race the crap out of that 18. They don't think they're full, which I'm sure they're not, being they took rights only. It's go time now. End of the race. Probably won't pit again. Inside, three wide, you're in the middle. We got a car in the wall. Clint Boyer climbs up the banking. What the hell, man? Come on. down to 10 laps to go. Ryan Blaney stacked the field up coming off turn number two. Three wide middle, three wide middle, two outside, one in, two outside, one in. Holy that straightaway, one car around and into the inside wall. Caution south, caution south. I don't think the 19th lifted yet. I'm sorry, I have no idea what happened. I turned into one and I about spun out. Somebody in driving into the 19 or did he just drive into my door? He just drove in your door. Come back to the green, it'll be five laps remaining. All right, bud, we won this race last year. So the first car that's on tires is the 22. All right, buddy, go get him. You see this before, you know how to do it. Yes, sir, Bob. I'm having good work here. We were in this spot yesterday. You know what you're doing here. Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin looking for the green flag. It's in the air and the race is on. Hamlin tries to shove him up, but he can't get it done. Larson around the outside. Clear, clear. Nice and smooth, hit your marks. Good, bring it home, baby. That a boy. Kyle Larson gets the victory. Chase Elliott, third time in a row, comes in second at Michigan. Really good job, Chase. Yeah, good job, guys. Thanks. Get him next drive. Let's put on a show for him here. Burn that. Get the ground. Yeah, great job. Great pit stops all day. Good job. Proud of you, man. You made up on those restarts. Very proud of you. See you in victory lane, buddy. DJ, if you didn't know that Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson won seven championships together, you may think that they hate each other. Knauss' <laughs> driving tips are not well received by Johnson. Oh, uh, yeah, on this day. But, you know, they've had so much success together. And it's that kind of thing that Chad continues to push Jimmy. But some days when you're doing everything you possibly can and this race car won't do what you want and then a crew chief that's sitting on top of a box comes on and says, hey, you might not want to try this. Well, you probably already have. And uh, you can get a little bit chippy at that point in time, Slugger. Well, certainly as a, as a crew chief, I know exactly what you're talking about. I would tell my driver something and they would say, have you ever driven a race car before? <laughs> Let alone at 210 miles an hour into the corner. So I understand what they're coming from but jimmy uh jimmy and chad to have a, a, a great relationship yeah. they've won three races this year and they have a weird way of communicating <laughs> slugger what about ives uh, and junior Ju junior basically just telling ives make a decision is that out of the ordinary well, Greg was trying to include Dale in a, in a conversation. You know, that was early on in the race when the, all the teams start on scuff tires, Dale, and they were getting ready to put on a set of stickers. And I think Greg was trying to pick Dale's brain a little bit back to happy hour on Saturday because typically you start on scuff tires and you put sticker tires on for the last run in happy hour. And he was trying to get a little interjection from Dale. It just didn't work out. Dale must have been perceived or something uh, <laughs> at, the, at the moment and didn't really want to talk. <laughs> okay, we'll take that. We'll take that. But Parker, you also have to um, feel for some of these other drivers in the field, like Clint Boyer and Ryan Blaney, and some of that sound we heard as well. Well, you saw the frustration of those late race restarts, and that's what happens in those late race restarts because obviously you've put yourself in position all day. You've raced all day, you've nailed your pit stops, and now you're suddenly in position to get that good result, and it's taken away from you. And in Clint Boyer's case, it was a debris caution, which you heard him have frustrations about. And, you know, some of that might have been the move he made, but he felt like. He was put in that position.
position to make that move because there was a caution. So that's some of what adds up. Add in the frustration that driver has as well because that knocked him out of the playoff picture. So that was a lot of ramifications there. You can understand why he was so upset and so frustrated. All right. Well, we have a special guest joining us next. Did you know this? Otto Bolden. He's yes. used to racing fast, just in a different kind of way, on two feet. So how will the four-time Olympic medalist fare in the NASCAR garage? The newest member of the NASCAR on NBC team joining us next. Welcome back. The Verizon IndyCar Series is on NBCSN, and as the title race heats up, IndyCar going into the Wisconsin woods is the Kohler Grand Prix at Road America. That is Sunday at 12.30 Eastern right here on NBCSN. Lane six is Otto Bolden of Trinidad. He is another hot sprinter from UCLA, the NCAA champion. Go! It's a fair start. Otto Bolden got off to a good start down in lane one. Otto Bolden has the lead. It's Otto Bolden. Bolden finally gets his goal. Otto Bolden has been a member of the NBC Sports track and field team since 2007. Prior to that, he represented Trinidad and Tobago in four Olympics, taking home four medals in the 100 and 200 meter competitions. And he's also a member of the UCLA Athletics Hall of Fame. And now Otto is adding something new to his resume. He is set to join our NASCAR coverage this season. Otto, congratulations. Welcome to the team, man. Thanks for being with us. What can you tell us about your new role? Well, I can tell you that I'm a guy who loves speed, so clearly I am in the right place. Uh -huh. And I can tell you that on the, the couple times that I've had a chance to be around it, and of course I did some, uh, some training today, I absolutely love this sport, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Otto, when you, when you see this and you get around something that, even though it's totally different maybe than what you did, it's still a competition. And when you reach a certain level, everybody is really good. In, in your opinion, as you watch pit crews and drivers and things, what separates you once you get to that point? What do you have to do as a competitor to beat the others? Well, you know, I was talking to the guys who were training today um, over at Joe, Gib Joe Gibbs Racing, and they said, you know, the sports are, are very similar, sprinting, and what these guys do because they're trying to find small ways, small things that will lead to changes in the overall time. And I'm telling you, that's something that I, I absolutely thought was, was, a, was a common thread. Mm -hmm. As a race driver myself, I've realized that a lot of the cars, you know, you, they make them all go fast. So everybody's going to have a fast car. At that point in time, it came down. Everybody has desire to win. Yes. But how much of a, a role did your sport play in your mind uh, in, in being able to beat the competition? Well, of course, for a, a sprinter, we have one lane. There's no team to help you. One of the guys asked me an interesting question today. He asked me, what was, what was the thing, you know, that I, I did to calm my nerves. I said, why would you want to calm your nerves? I said, if you want to be great, you have to take your nerves and channel and channel them into being great. I said, don't, don't try to think you have to calm your nerves. Your nerves are what make you great. You just have to learn how to harness them. What is it most that intrigues you about this sport that you want to get uh, involved in this year? Well, for me, I'm a guy who I always, I've always liked to tinker. I'm a pilot. Um, I used to build computers from the ground up. And I know from the, from the outside, it looks like, oh, yeah, drive fast, turn left, beat yeah. everybody else. But there is such detail in the preparation for this sport that already on what, I, what I'm calling my day one, I'm getting into the small things that make big, big differences on race day. Yeah, Carolyn, I think that's the biggest thing that regardless of what you do as a competitor, you're always going to find out that it's those small things that really make the difference in being successful and, and overcoming your competition. Yeah, as we see some video there, you driving with Jeff Burton. But I got to say, Otto, you're a man who loves speed. And I'm watching that video of you changing those lug nuts. And that took, that took forever, brother. That took forever. Oh, it was not a good day. It was not a good day at lug nut school, I can tell you that. It was not a good day. Tire changing school did not go particularly well today at all, Carol. You know what? It's all about reps. Any sport, it's all about reps. But for me, the most exciting part of coming into this sport, I feel like it's similar to you. Seeing it with a new, fresh set of eyes. I didn't know a lot about NASCAR when we acquired this property who do you hope to draw in with your new perspective on this is someone that like you said is learning on the fly I would hope that the fans out there would be the way I was 10 years ago I had the sports that I loved and I had the sports that you know I never really paid attention to and then I went to the Sochi Winter Olympics and I saw sports for the first time and I went 
Well, I'm an idiot. Why would I ignore those sports? Because I'm not giving them a chance. And I feel that's the that's the kind of person that I want. Give NASCAR a chance. Because I think that if you get into the nuts and bolts of it, right. no pun intended, <laughs> I think you're actually going to really, really love the sport if you haven't tried it before. Oh, that's great advice. And that's great because we're always trying to get new people involved in this. So it's great to have you on board with our team. And we'll look forward to seeing you around the track this year. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Otto Bolden, a hard worker. Uh, thanks for being with us. We'll see you out at the track. Okay, see you then. All right. All right, coming up uh, Sunday, big for Joey Logano. Top five finish at Michigan and also the announcement of his first child on the way. So what advice has the father-to-be received so far? He's going to tell us next on NASCAR America. Welcome back. This day in NASCAR takes us back to 1976. David Pearson drove past Richard Petty, Bobby Allison, and race leader Cale Yarbrough, with just two laps remaining and one by three car lengths at Michigan. Pearson, who was racing a partial schedule for the Wood Brothers, won for the seventh time in just 11 starts. And for the season, the Silver Fox won 10 of 22 races and even finished ninth in points. Back in the present now, where NASCAR's baby boom continues. Earlier this morning on Instagram, Ashton and Trevor Bain welcome their second child, a son, Levi Jensen Bain. Levi weighing in at 7 pounds, 10 ounces, as we send our congratulations and very best wishes to the Bain family for their new arrival. Joey Logano and his wife, Brittany, soon going to join that baby boom. After last Sunday's race, the Loganos announced that they are expecting their first child to arrive in January. And that was one of several subjects that Logano discussed with Marty Snyder. Well, a much-needed third-place finish for Joey Logano and the 22 team at Michigan. Now, I'll call it a much-needed third-place finish. Would you agree that's a much-needed oh, yeah. third-place finish? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, just such a, um, a tough little streak of races that we've been on there the last five or six weeks and um you know it's nice to be able to to break through and get a nice solid top three and and i joked after the race how it felt like a win and uh, it's not good when a third place feels like a win so we got to get back to our old ways and and that's a step in the right direction um to being mad about a third place finish that's where we want to get back to well now you had a plan that you were going to win the race and make a big announcement in victory lane congratulations to, to you and Brittany. but the, they almost came together i know we, we had the master game plan i was talking to Brittany. i said Man, how cool would it be has anyone ever announced their baby they're having a baby in victory lane before so i don't think it's ever happened so that was our shot and we we came close but uh we ended up announcing it right after the race and um i thought on father's day it was special so um so excited about it it's such a uh, a neat thing i know there's a lot of adjustments coming my way for sure and uh but we're looking forward to the the, the challenge and the, the future that comes ahead of us I guess, one, it, this is a big deal for you guys because it was a lot to get here for, for, for you guys to be able to have a baby. But, two, are you going to take advice from Brad? Who are you going to take advice from for fatherly advice as you get ready for this new period of your life? Anyone I can. <laughs> that's, how, that's how that works. There's, uh, there's a lot of um, special people around me that, that have raised amazing kids, and um, I'm fortunate enough to, to know a lot of them. And, and just like the way I do with, with racing, I ask as many questions as I can and, and try to take the good and, and make your own way out of it. And uh, <laughs> we'll see. I have no clue what to do right now. I'm completely <laughs> lost. So, uh, But together, Brittany and I will, will, will figure this whole thing out. I'm sure you guys will have lots of advice from lots of people. So let's talk about the season. I know you said it's been a frustrating couple of weeks but I think people look at, at your team they would look at Joe Gibbs racing how can teams that have been that good lose an edge they had at the end of last year how easy is it to lose that edge you may have had well, it don't take much that's for sure you know with, with um, you know the way uh, these cars are always evolving the way these teams keep we keep coming up with something new and it only lasts for a certain amount of time you know the advantage is only there for a few weeks before something else new comes out and someone else has the, the advantage so it, it, we're all so close and equally paired and we're talking about half a tenth of a second you know or, or, or something like that so we're, it's not huge but when everyone's so close a tenth of a second could be 10 spots on the racetrack a lot of the time. So, um, you know, a little bit of speed makes a big difference. And, uh, you know, to be able to have a car last week that, that had okay speed, it wasn't the fastest car, but we were, it had good enough speed that we can put ourselves in position with the right strategy and a, and a good restart, a few good restarts at the end. Right put you in position to almost win the race. Um, it's good to have that speed. At least you can put yourself in position to maybe win. All right, let's talk about the season as a whole. Are you tired of thinking of the phrase encumbered finish? Like, have, has that crossed your mind? Yeah, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, very very much so. Um, you know, obviously as we're 
we're, uh, we lost a lot of points. At first, I didn't think it was a big deal, um, but as we lost points over the last month or so, uh, you know, you put yourself there towards the edge of making the playoffs. It's a little bit tight and um, not the place you want to be in, um, but the team's not in panic mode by no means. We, we, we know how to do this. This is the same team that's raced for a championship the last three years. Uh, we know how to do it. We're going to get some wins again, and, um, and we're going to gain back the points that we've lost. We just got to uh, get back on the, the role that we know how to be on. So when you guys sit around, do you do you consider do you consider Richmond a win? Or how do you consider, or or not? I mean, how do you look at it? Count it as a win? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it doesn't count for playoff points. <laughs> I count it as a win. There's a trophy. Right. It was, uh, believe me, and, and for what it was for, it was there was no advantage really to, to speak of that that would have made a difference. So, um, but hey, the, the bottom line is, hey, it it doesn't count, I guess, to uh, to the points. So, um, it, it is. It is what it is. It's in the past. We got to look forward, and um, you know, we, we do sit here. And I, I always joke with the guys all the time. We got we won two races this year. We won the you know the shootout down there, and then we won the won Richmond. I said none of them count. I said what are we, what are we doing? So we got to win one that counts here. I know you said you're not in panic mode, but as teams, maybe that you didn't expect to win, win, and that that gets filled up. Are you a little worried about that? Yeah, it, it, this year definitely seems to be different than the normal. You know, it, there seems like there's a lot more winners, um, or a lot, at least the, the guys that you don't bank on winning have won a race, and there's a lot of drivers that have not won a race still. So that uh, that number 16 uh, uh, winners it, it could come very close to or, or maybe go over. So, um, yeah, getting a win is going to be very important right now in the next few races. All right, how do you feel about those chances coming up this weekend at Sonoma? And you got Daytona coming up, too, where you guys have been very good. Well, that's another thing about those wins, too, right? I mean, you have those ringers that can come in on a road course or a super speedway and get a, a surprise winner. We've seen that happen uh, plenty of times. So, you know, I think of Sonoma, I get excited about it. We almost, uh, I would say almost won. We were third, and <laughs> if they two crashed in front of me, we would have won the race. I was so close to that, but... Um, We've become pretty good at road courses in Sonoma in particular, and also Daytona has been a great racetrack for us. So it's nice just to kind of get away from the mile and a half for a little bit in the normal races and change it up a little bit, and then hopefully in a couple of weeks we can find some more speed on our typical speedway stuff. They did show some speed this past weekend at Michigan. Some good tracks coming up for Joey Logano, too. And I bet it wouldn't be long before they put themselves in that winner's category for real this time. <laughs> Marty, thank you. Yes, fatherhood you have to learn on the fly. But Joey Logano does know how to drive a race car. But what have you noticed about this struggle to find speed? Well, that's the, that's the whole struggle. Where's the speed? Where is it gone? Well, when you look at what happened after that win or encumbered finish, at Richmond, this team slowed down. And you have to wonder, just looking at things, you know, this team had to evaluate their race car and say, okay, what did we fail for? Well, it was in the rear suspension. Well, we know what teams are doing those rear suspensions. We know what they're trying to gain there. Even if it wasn't a massive gain in speed or something that was going to help them, they still failed. That means Todd Gordon, who's a crew chief and leader of this race team, has to think about how they're setting up those race cars and redo it. And you have to wonder that in these last couple weeks since that has happened, that has hindered this race team just that little bit. And as Joey said, it can be a fraction of a second, but the fraction of a second can be the difference between being in 10 different places on the racetrack. So I really think that if you look at what this race team had to kind of go through after almost, you know, almost the shock of that encumbered finish and have to rebuild themselves, they're just starting to get there with where they've now had to find themselves in terms of how they're setting up those race cars to be able to not have an encumbered finish again. DJ, how concerned should this team be right now? Uh, I think very concerned. Uh, to Parker's point there, I, I agree 100% that I think that that's what they've probably done. Pulled back the reins just a little bit as to how far they were pushing the envelope there. And, and I look at Sunday. Yes, that was a third-place finish. It wasn't that long ago that they were disappointed to finish third. And he was excited that they finished third. And they had better tires than the other cars they were racing around on Sunday and still couldn't get to them and make a difference at the end of the race. So it tells me that they're still have a long way to go with this not being very far ahead in the points uh wild card race is coming up i, I think there's a lot of concern he does drivers do a good job a lot of times of putting that off and acting like it's not a problem but slugger i think there's a lot of work to be done here yeah certainly and, and the respect to lack of speed you know you've heard that saying once bitten twice shy mm. i'm sure the head people at penske said look you got caught once it better not happen again but i think the main thing out of that interview that marty had with with, with joey is that he thought when they lost those points back in May, it was no big deal. Yeah. And now today, they're starting to sweat not having those points. And the panic button is not pushed, but it's sitting right there in front of them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, coming up, uh, my home track tour, all 50 states, coming to one of NASCAR's traditional heartlands, Virginia, the state that has shaped the sports history unlike any other. We're going to explore one of its greatest tracks next. Make sure you are there as another chapter in the Earnhardt legacy comes to a close. Dale Jr. taking to the track at historic Daytona International Speedway one last time. It's Saturday, July 1st, only on NBC. And our tour of all 50 states and 50 shows comes to Virginia. That is a state that's played a major role not just in NASCAR's history, but in the history of our country as well. Virginia hosts four cup races each year, more than any other state. It's also produced a record eight American presidents. And as we all know, Virginia is for lovers. The slogan has promoted the state since 1969. And the state general assembly is the oldest continuous lawmaking body in the new world. It was first established back in 1619. And our home track today is a NASCAR classic. This is Langley Speedway in Hampton, Virginia. It's a four-tenths mile oval that's hosted stock car racing's greatest legends. The track first opened in 1950, but it would be 14 years until the NASCAR Cup Series came into town. Ned Jarrett won the inaugural race, the first of nine for NASCAR's top level at Langley. All five Cup Series winners there, that would be Jarrett and Richard Petty, David Pearson, Bobby Allison, and Bobby Isaac became NASCAR Hall of Famers. DJ, I imagine uh, you have quite a few stories here from your father uh, along the way at this track. Yeah, I remember being there uh, for a lot of, for his wins, and, and it was a lot of fun. I had no idea at the time just how difficult a racetrack that was until my career started. And I tell you, I got a lot of valuable lessons from people like Tommy Ellison, Sam Ard, Butch Lindley, Jack Ingram. Uh, they, they taught me a lot about short track racing. And uh, even though it's only four-tenths of a mile, it was a racetrack that you felt like if you could run well there, uh, you could pretty much go anywhere in the country and, and race well. So all of the victories for the Jarrett family came because of Ned Jarrett. Well, the summer schedule at Langley actually includes the Hampton Heat. 200 late model races on July 22nd. It's the track's signature race and it pays 10,000 big ones to win. And Parker, if you look at some notables that have run in that race, they include current truck series drivers Timothy Peters and Kaz Grella and Ben Rhodes. This is pretty great. It is. And actually, I was teammates with Timothy Peters back in 2012 and he was so great at the short tracks. He's known for a short track prowess. And I had to learn a couple things from him and I asked him, you know, why are you so good at these short tracks? And it was because of places like Langley, Virginia and the other short tracks that he raced throughout Virginia that made him so good as he got to the NASCAR ranks he could apply those lessons just like DJ talked about it's those lessons you learn at the short tracks that help you apply those later on in your career in NASCAR. Well while we're talking about these really special home tracks one of our stops way back in April was Hawkeye Down Speedway that was in Cedar Rapids Iowa and it was the home track of Landon Castle and last Friday Castle returned to his racing roots he climbed into a late model for a 50 lap feature at Hawkeye Downs during the track's military night he drove to a third place finish in his first appearance at his home track since 2009 and the winner of the race 15-year-old Brody Willett. You know, Castle's teammate at Front Row Motorsports is David Reagan. On and off the track, one of his biggest partnerships is with Shriners International. He does a lot of work with them, and that helped set up a very special visit last weekend at Michigan. Reagan hosted Dakari Moore, a 12-year-old boy from Detroit, along with his family. And last summer, Dakari contracted a flesh-eating bacteria. He ended up losing both of his legs, and he was later treated at the Shriners Hospital in in Chicago and when he was there the doctor started to take note of what a positive attitude he had despite his ordeal and that same attitude left quite an impression on Reagan when they met. Dakari coming out to uh, MIS today was pretty special. I got to read a little bit about him and watch some of his videos online. And man, he's a, uh, a mature 12-year-old, and he's gone through a lot of struggles. And it's just a great example of how the Shriners Hospitals can really make the quality of life, uh, you know, out of a young kid really good. Uh, Dakari's uh, a double amputee. He's getting ready for some prosthetics over the next year. And uh, man, he's got a great spirit. He's uh, he's happy to be here, and he's really an inspiration, you know, for a lot of us 
said, you know, we have some small struggles in our life, but nothing like what he's fought through. And uh, he and his family are, you know, cool folks. So we've got to uh, to enjoy and introduce him to NASCAR. So come out to uh, to watch a fun NASCAR race and uh, get to have a little bit of fun. But yeah, Dakari's a, a special young man, and I'm sure he'll uh, he'll change a lot of lives over the years because uh, he's got a good attitude. I've been a Shriner for a number of years, and I've been able to visit the hospitals and meet a lot of the patients and, and their families. And so it's great to have them uh, partner with our uh, Front Row Motorsports team and to raise awareness and, and, and show all the NASCAR fans and the different people at the racetracks and watching on TV, you know, what the Shriners Hospitals are all about and, you know, how they, they have a, a real positive impact on all these kids' lives. So someone like Dakari, who's uh, lost both of his legs, he can still wake up every day and, and have a great outlook on life. He's going to get two prosthetics. He's going to be running and jumping and, and playing like all other 12-year-olds his age. So, yeah, it's fun to try to spread that word that there's a lot of good stuff that goes on at the Shriners Hospitals. And so I'm proud to be a Shriner uh, and then proud to represent him on our race car. Kids are really amazing individuals. Strength through rough obstacles, never given up. Strength through rough obstacles, never given up. That's pretty good. Well, you're uh, you're an inspiration for a lot of us. So I bet uh, people at your school they probably need to be listening to you a little bit. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, yes, they do. You know, drivers do so much good work for Charity Parker, and you can tell that Shriners International has a very special meaning to David Reagan. Yeah, he puts a lot of effort in that, and you look at what David Reagan has done in his career. He's the ultimate David versus Goliath, pardon the pun, but he really is. At Front Row Motorsports, they're up against some of the biggest, best teams in the world, but they continue to go out there and try to compete, and he got that win for Front Row Motorsports a couple years ago, and that truly was the embodiment of what David Reagan does also at the Shriners Hospital. They go up against the odds. They put so much out there, but truly find a way to be successful. And that's what you can take away from David. Yeah, DJ, to Parker's point, this David and Goliath thing that we see uh, in NASCAR from time to time, they are a smaller shop, but how much of a player are they really? A two-car team among some giants, but have accomplished quite a bit. Yes, Carolyn, they are that. But, you know, whatever sport it is uh, that, that you see out there, you know, you have – teams and, and organizations that are bigger and better than others. But it takes everyone to make all of this happen. And and David Reagan is, is an outstanding person, uh, as you saw there. And he helps make this organization better. But I think the thing that that hurts these smaller teams at times are a lot of the rules changes that go on Slugger because it takes them longer to kind of catch up on things. And I think there's probably no more evident than this year in making the lower downforce part of it as the bigger teams, they've struggled to adapt to it, but these smaller teams have an even more difficult time. It's certainly a challenge. You know, they do have a technical alliance with Roush Fenway Racing, and they also get their engines from uh, Doug, Doug Yates Racing. So they have a lot of support. But still, if you go back to last weekend in Michigan, they, Dave, David Reagan, Orlando Castle wrecked in practice, and it took them a while to recover from that. They missed qualifying. They were late for practice on Saturday. So it's easy to get behind in this sport. And, and you know, a lot of these big teams go to the wind tunnel a lot. And, and if you don't do that weekly, it's hard to keep up with them. Yeah. And one more thing about David Reagan. You know, we hear all the time about what a family sport NASCAR is. And you can take that in a lot of different ways. But in this case, David Reagan came from a, a family that is a good family. Uh, he was raised the right way and does the right things. And he really goes out of his way uh, to help others. And you can't say anything better about someone that, that, that they put others before themselves so many times. He's a really good race driver, but he does a lot of good things outside of the race car. That is true, DJ. And, and going back to Front Row Motorsports, you know, they their place in the Cup Series is also where, you know, a driver like Landon Castle can find a home that he's found in the last couple of years, David Reagan. It's a place where those drivers can try to make that small organization more successful, go and overachieve because they can use their talents to do such a thing. And I think it's really a great model when you look at what Front Row Motorsports does is that they constantly overachieve in this series, which is, I think, one of the things that you don't see a lot of times in NASCAR is that there's those teams that, with their underfunded, they kind of find themselves not quite achieving what they'd hoped to achieve. But this team finds a way to overachieve. They do it by having great talents like David Reagan and Landon Castle behind the wheel by putting just enough resources behind them. And it's, I think, something that can be commendable as you watch it happen. And look, this team has won two races before. They've won at Talladega. They won at Pocono of Chris Buescher last year. They are successful. And I think that's a very impressive feat that they can do that. Yeah, well, like you said, still to come, Furniture Racing, they've become a contender thanks in part to their alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing. But what exactly has made their alliance so successful? We're going to discuss that when NASCAR America comes back.
Hey, just a heads up here, NASCAR America heading to a new time beginning on Monday, July 3rd. You can check us out at 5 p.m. Eastern weekdays right here on NBCSN. So tell your loved ones, tell your DVR, spread the word. 5 p.m. Eastern is our new time. All right, let's take a look at NASCAR by the numbers now. Martin Truex Jr. won two more stages at Michigan to lift his total to 10. That is out of a total of 31 stages this season. So he has won 32% of all the stages run this season. No other driver has more than four stage wins. Meanwhile, the team that Furniture Row has an alliance with is Joe Gibbs Racing. And there's good news and there's bad news at JGR. Yes, they're winless through 15 races. And by the way, they had seven wins last year through 15 races. But they also lead the Cup Series in laps led. And they're the only team with three drivers currently in the playoffs. So let's discuss this a little bit and talk about the alliance between JGR and Furniture Row. Uh, Slugger, Furniture Row, previously affiliated with your former team, Richard Childress Racing, now with JGR. Is the smaller team here the one that is gaining more from this partnership, at least through this point in the season? Well, sometimes it appears that way. You know, a, a lot of times, Dale, everyone asks the question, how can the 78 car be so much faster than the competition? Well, a lot of it has to do with the technical alliance. You get technical information. You get aerodynamic concepts and, and thoughts, uh, engineering support. Everything is giving to you. It's not for free, though. It comes at a, a healthy price, I'm, I'm certain. But uh, the main thing, though, is like Joe Gibbs Racing provides a pit crew to this team. So if the 78 or 77 team have an issue with a part or a bad pit stop, they don't worry about it. They hand the parts back to Joe Gibbs Racing. They talk to the pit crew coach and said, hey, this jackman had an issue or this tire changer had an issue. They solve the problem. So what that allows Furniture Row Racing to do is work on speed. The engineers back in Denver, Colorado, which is typically 24 hours away from most racetracks that we race on, and that's a challenge in itself, the engineers back at the shop, they get to work on speed. They look at the tire data. They look at the aero data. They work on simulation. They work on the seven posts. The guys in the shop and the road crew, they work on putting speed speed in a race car. Aerodynamic upfits, upgrades, if you would. Uh, they work on building lightweight, solid-built race cars. And that stuff there, when you don't have to worry about solving problems yeah. and worry about putting speed in your race car, it, it adds to the question of why is Martin Truex Jr. so fast? Yeah, there, there's no doubt that that it has uh, benefited them. And I think the other part of it that has benefited, uh, along with all of those things that you just pointed out, is that the relationship with Toyota. When Toyota came into this sport, that they said that, all, we want all of our teams to, to talk. We, we want it to basically be an open book, if you will. And so it has made it an easy transition for Furniture Road to have all of that at their disposal. And as you said, just continue to be concerned about making their cars better. You know, I, we all wondered at the beginning of the year, adding a second car uh, to this organization, how was that going to hold them back? Was the 78 not going to be as good as what he has been the last uh, couple of years? I think we've seen that answer. Eric Jones has performed very well and it hasn't slowed Martin Truex uh, Jr. down one bit at all to, to this point. So I think that it's all worked from, for them. Uh, doesn't mean and say that, that it works that good for everybody, but this particular uh, alliance that they have has worked very well. well Slug, ahead, I want to jump in here. I, I want to ask you a question real quick. You, you mentioned all the ways that Furniture Row benefits from the Joe Gibbs Racing Alliance, but when Furniture Row is doing better than Joe Gibbs, what is the protocol for the smaller team that's getting the benefits of the alliance to start to help the bigger team that's doing all the work, the development, all the things behind the scenes that's helping them be so fast? That's a great question, Parker. You know, I've worked with Cole and Jazzy, which is the head engineer at Furniture Racing. They are very open. They don't keep no secrets. They, they want to work together as one big team, like you mentioned, Dale. And they're not afraid to... Uh, offer up their setups or simulations or the things they learned on the seven post. Uh, it, it's not all for one. You know, Furniture Row provides a lot of information to Gibbs, and Gibbs gives them a lot of information as well. But it, to me, I've worked with those guys, and they're not shy at all because they know strength in numbers in certain areas definitely is better. And they have a lot of good guys at Furniture Racing and a lot of good guys at Joe Gibbs Racing. So together as one, uh, they become a powerhouse. And Furniture Row, right this moment, does a better job, it appears, of making their race cars just a little bit better. Yeah, and I think we can look at two people, Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr. Yeah, let's not slight the drive 
driver here because he's done an outstanding job over the years. Now, I'm not sure that he's ever gotten the credit that he really deserves with all of this. <laughs> that's true. And, and, you know, the one thing you mentioned them going to two cars, and that's what's been so seemingly impressive to me about Furniture Racing this season, is that they've gone to two cars, they're using this alliance, and they're becoming that prototype for many teams out there to think, look how successful these guys are. Look at their accomplishing all the way out in Denver, Colorado. Maybe we need to be looking at that model going forward. And I think they, we've seen before what Toyota has done with their model. Well, now Furniture Racing is showing that there's a new model that can be successful. It's just in so funny because before the season started, I don't think we had a single analyst that said, Eric Jones is going to be great for Martin Truex Jr. But this partnership has yielded results, and Martin Truex Jr. has been Mr. Consistency this season. When you're hot, you're hot. And one day after his Cup Series victory at Michigan, Kyle Larson falls into that category as well. Took another checkered flag. We're going to show you where next on NASCAR America. Welcome back. Starting July 5th, every Wednesday, NASCAR America will be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Check this out. Each show, we're going to have one of our drivers along with a current cup or Xfinity driver, and we're going to showcase their journey to NASCAR, so make sure you keep an eye out for that. It starts on July 5th. All right, so two days and two trophies. Michigan winner Kyle Larson went racing last night in the All-Star Circuit of Champions, and he won the feature at Wayne County Speedway in Orville, Ohio. He finished second, uh, uh, finishing second, excuse me, fellow Cup Series star Casey Kane, uh, who's no slouch in a sprint car either. And I guess we should say that that's, what, three wins in the last week yes. for Kyle Larson as well because he won that World of Outlaws event. So he just keeps driving and winning at least this Can't week. Can't stop this guy. Yeah. He's on fire. Um, but let's talk about one of Kane's uh, NASCAR teammates, Dale Earnhardt Jr. He was one of the choices in today's poll question. Which of these five drivers is going to win first this season? So we had Junior, Kyle Busch, Matt Kenseth, uh, Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin. You can see them at the bottom of your screen. And as we kind of look to finalize this here, it's basically a landslide. Kyle Busch. Coming in at 54%, but it was fluctuating much higher than that. And this is the obvious choice for NASCAR fans because, Parker, you and I have been talking all week on NASCAR America about the fact that the 18 is due. Well, I'm just surprised that the fans have, for once, not voted with their heart, and they went for the guy that really makes sense, and that is Kyle Busch. He has been the, one of the fastest cars in the Cup Series for the last couple weeks. I, I bring up Pocono where he was by far the fastest car there. There was times in the race where some of the spotters were saying he was actually playing the field, not shifting, just coasting around that racetrack in the lead. He was just that fast. This car has simply been kept out of victory lane by circumstance. No doing of their own. It's just been luck and, and sort of you know, things have gone the wrong way, but this team has the speed to win and will win soon. DJ, are you in agreement with what Parker's saying in the poll results? Gosh, this is twice I'm going to agree with Parker today. You're 100% <laughs> right, Parker. I agree with you, yeah. I think he's the obvious choice here. But I think because of the tracks that we have coming up, that any one of those five that we had there could win. And so it's hard to put that on that. If we were going back to Pocono and Michigan and, and Loudoun and, and things like that, even though Loudoun is coming up, uh, you, you might look at things a little bit differently. But Kyle Busch has performed at that level. We questioned whenever he lost his crew chief, Adam Stevens, for four weeks. How, what kind of difference was that going to make? And even though we know there's a lot of communication there, I think that we understand, even though he's not right there, and Slugger, you said this, that it, not being right there on hand, that it can make a difference. And I think we've seen that, but Kyle Busch will get to victory lane eventually. I agree with you, but I'm going to do something different here. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with Parker and try to piss him off. I'm going to go <laughs> with number 11, Danny Hamlin. He finished second last year to Tony Stewart. I thought he had the race won going into turn 10, but uh, he will hopped and lost the race. But, Parker, I am not going to agree with you hey, right now. Slugger, I just have to point out here, uh, who was the lowest on this poll? I, I think the fans are siding with me a little bit at this you point. you got to love the underdogs. <laughs> Slugs for the one. win. Slugs got for the win. One. All right, all right. Thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate it. Great job today. That's all for now. America. For all your NASCAR news, log on to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We'll be back Wednesday at 530 Eastern. Thanks for watching. We'll see you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.